giving you weekly sports analysis, opinions, and discussion. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Jay Raff. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 171st episode of the Joe Mays and Jay Raff Show. I am flying solo tonight, just me, Joe Mays, here this evening, as uh, my co-host, Justin Raffoff, is... Uh, uh, fortunately for him, he got to chaperone a school trip, and I am not saying that sarcastically at all. Is one of the great trips that uh, Wilson does for their students, and he is actually with um, Wilson football coach Doug Doms down in Wallops, Virginia, um, taking uh, environmental science and the related fields. Those students down there this, uh, this weekend for a, a great time in uh, Wallops, uh, Virginia. It's a really, really cool uh, trip. I hope everyone's having a great time. I know Justin's checking in periodically, um, so that's where he's at this evening. But I won't technically be alone tonight. I'll be the only one in the studio, but we are going to have a uh, special guest this evening. Uh, for the first time in a while, we're going to do an interview, and we're going to be talking one of my favorite topics, if my most favorite of all the sports topics, and that is the NFL draft. As it's rapidly approaching now, we're about under three weeks away from the event. It is Thursday, uh, April 30th. I think the first pick is around 630 on ESPN and NFL Network. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're steamrolling right along. And yes, I know another show we're talking football. Baseball just started. As you can see my hat supporting the Phillies. They fell again today, though, to three and three. So the second day in a row, they played the Nationals in extra innings. But unfortunately, they weren't able to overcome some issues in the late innings and they fell four to three. Um, but again, yep, 171st episode of the show. Just me this evening. Uh, but I will be talking to Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. We will cover the 2015 NFL Draft. He released a massive, massive overview. Uh, his He called it his NFL Draft Prospectus, and it's just a huge, huge file to um, dive into and uh, to talk about in tiny bits and pieces here this evening. There's so much information, and we can't possibly cover everything. But we are going to talk about the teams that – most of our listeners are in, interested in being the Eagles, the Steelers, the uh, Ravens, Cowboys, Dolphins, Patriots. We're going to try to touch on all of them, and we'll get Kyle's um, interpretation on the uh, the prospects and how he sees them ranking and what some of these team needs are surrounding uh, the ones that I just mentioned. So it should be a good show. Uh, have a lot of fun. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to take calls this evening since we're going to have the guests live on the air. But if you would like to get some information on the NFL draft, they get a question answered by me or Kyle, probably Kyle. He's the better one to ask in this situation. Uh, definitely contact the Mays Sandwich Shop email inbox, jraf at gmail.com. That's the best way to get in contact with me or ask Kyle a question this evening. Again, that's jraf at gmail.com. And also send a, a, a um, question or comment our way on Facebook. Uh, find our fan page there. And also Twitter. I have that up during the show. Again, it's at Joe Mays and JRAF. So those are the best ways to contact us uh, this evening to get your NFL draft questions answered live on the air with me and Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. All right, quickly before Kyle calls in here and we get the ball rolling on the NFL draft, I do want to recap our 2015 uh, ESPN tournament challenge. Um, NCAA March Madness wrapped up Monday night with uh, the Duke Blue Devils winning their fifth title under Coach Krzyzewski and uh, they were able to defeat Wisconsin. So Duke came out on top 
And that means that the winner of our tournament challenge is, and it is a repeat. Uh, yeah, nope. Had the right one up first. There we go. Um, so Ryan Yanchosik is the winner again for the second straight year. Ryan has won our tournament challenge. Second place was J-Raf's wife, Jamie. Third place was J-Raf's mom, Cheryl. Fourth place, my uncle Rich from New England. And then rounding out um, the fifth and sixth place spot were Glenn Miller and my cousin Matt May. Tying with Matt in six was J-Raf. And unfortunately, because Kentucky fell, I ended up in 13th. Uh, another of note, we were kind of chiding uh, at basketball analyst Adam throughout the tournament, but he ended up rebounding and finishing in front of me in 11th spot. So there's the roundup. Uh, I don't have too many others uh, to, to mention here. Just wanted to get those at the ones that finish at, uh, at the top. We are going to reach out to Ryan and see if he'd like to come on the show, mostly because, well, as you can see, if you're watching on Ustream, he won two years in a row. Um, you know, so so winning winning uh, the, that two years in a row, um, it's you kind of get that opportunity. We'd love to have him come in here and talk sports with us. So we will reach out to Ryan and see if he wants to join us on the show. Um, yeah, two-year winner won this year in 20. If you recall, two years ago, uh, my dad and Justin's dad won it. The year before, Jamie in 2012, and then 2011, our first year on the air, uh, my sister Corinne won it. So thanks for t participating in the tournament challenge. We had you know, over 30 brackets. It was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully we have the same type or even a bigger turnout next year. And uh, I will make sure to reach out to Ryan and uh, get him to uh, make an appearance on the show if he would like to. All right. And with that, that closes out college basketball season and talk from us. Now we're all focused on the other sports, primarily still, yes, football. Even though it is April, uh, it can be the best time of the year for people like me, uh, an NFL draft junkie. And also, I think, kind of excited for the NFL draft is uh, joining us this evening is Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. It should be a good time. Yeah, you've been making the rounds recently, I hear. I see that you actually were – did you get on with Ross Tucker on Monday? Yes, that's correct. That was – I mean, anytime you get up at – 6:30 on a Monday is it's a little rough, but I, I could not complain getting up. It's been about 25 minutes on Sirius with Ross, and uh, it's going to be featured on one of his podcasts coming up. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you do you will be able to listen to it a little bit later down the line before the draft. Awesome, yeah, I did look for it actually, and then I realized it wasn't it wasn't a podcast. It was the live airing in the in the morning, and I couldn't track it down. So it's good to it's good to hear that it will be made available. But I did catch you on. I think you on, uh, what was it, the Rotoviz? I think I caught an interview on their show. Yeah, I did them. Uh, I recorded with them Monday night, and they posted that uh, right around uh, dinner time on Tuesday. So it's it's been uh, a little crazy, uh, a lot of phone calls and stuff like that. But this is what I do it for. You know, I, I love talking about it, so um, I don't look at it as work. It, it's enjoyable to me, so... Uh, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad you're taking a, you know, so a little bit of your Sunday evening here to join me and talk NFL draft. But I'm just like you. I, I love NFL draft. I, I can remember that I started following it um, right around the time. Probably the first year was uh, way back in 95 when uh, Kerry Collins, Kyle Brady, and those guys were coming out of Penn State. That was the year that I really started following it. You know, I've been doing it for about 20 years now and working with draft tech myself since 2008. Um, it's been a lot of fun. This is the best time of the year for me. I like, I might like this time better than, uh, you know, some parts in the fall when the actual games are being played. I mean, there's just something about the combination of, 
of the college football meeting NFL and finding out where some of the guys that we love watching college ball are going to end up playing. It really is. It really is a fascinating process. And uh, as far as enjoying it more than the fall, I guess uh, for a lot of folks, that probably depends on who they're rooting for. <laughs> that That is true. Um, and actually, I think we share a common bond when it comes to our rooting interest. Are you a Dolphins fan? Uh, I am. <laughs> I, uh, I don't publicize it too frequently just because I'm trying to promote as, as much of a uh, neutral uh, yes. aspect of it. Uh, but, yes, I've, uh, I used to live in Augusta, Georgia as a kid, and uh, I believe it was 90, 91 through 94, something like that. And uh, Dolphins were the closest good team at the time. So I was <laughs> a little bit of a front runner as a kid, and I never really got off the boat. Yeah, well, I, I hear you there. I mean, you don't have to worry about it, it, it getting out there. You probably don't want to talk about it much because they've been so uh, average over the last few years, haven't been really good since Marino left. But uh, I, I'm a huge Dolphins fan, and it's been that way my entire life. I can't really pinpoint when or where or why because I'm a Philly fan in every other respect. Uh, but yeah, I thought I had seen that you uh, at least favored the Dolphins. But like you said, moving forward in the career that you've chosen, uh, you got to kind of be objective. and You don't want any of those uh, fandoms getting in the way. All right. So now, um, can you give, just give me a little bit of information on how you got started in this? I think I, I read that you've been doing this, or at least with NDT, that you started about a year and a half ago. How did this all come about? What what pushed you in this direction? Well, um, first and foremost, um, Wilson graduate myself. So I played Wilson football seasons 04 through 06. LL championship plaques up on my wall. So <laughs> nice. I'm very, very proud Bulldog. Uh, did not have the opportunity to play in college. Um, while I was in college, I did uh, several years at the Penn State Berks campus, which is right here in town. So uh, I actually was a volunteer assistant coach at Wilson for two seasons. And it got to the point where just the workload was too much. You know, during the fall, you know, if you know anything about Wilson football, you know, you know how serious everybody takes it. And I felt like I would be doing a disservice to continue um, being an assistant coach when I had so many other demands in so many other areas. So I, I had a great opportunity to work with the Wilson staff for two years. I uh, was great insight into the coaching respect. And once I bowed out, I kind of asked myself, what is there left for me uh, to stay involved in football? And the next, next natural progression was, you know, talent evaluation. You know, inevitably, as a Dolphins fan, you get to the second week of December, and you're looking <laughs> forward to the draft already. So I would uh, casually, I casually um, even beforehand, I would casually keep, top, or keep tabs on the top prospects. And, you know, once I got out of coaching, it became a little bit more in-depth. Um, but nothing too serious. I actually have a, a colleague or friend who did something similar to what I'm doing now for three or four seasons before actually breaking in. And he works for a scouting department now. Oh, excellent. And he reached out said, Hey, you know, I, I know this is something you've been interested in. Uh, if you ever want any of my notes or anything like that, I obviously don't need them anymore. Um, this is something I feel like you could potentially do. And if you want to do it, just put the work in and see where it takes you. Awesome. Yeah, well, I think it's, you've definitely um, gotten a 
pretty pretty decent following recently. Um, I've seen you shooting up all over Twitter, and a lot, a lot of people talking about your work. And uh, I have the your 2015 NFL Draft prospectus here in front of me, and it's it's quite massive. And I think I saw you tweet this out, but how long did it take you to do all this work and preparation and combining all of your um your draft work that you've done this past year? Uh, well. I won't count the film hours that started in August when the college season started, but since December 1st through uh, the m end of March, when I finalized all the pro day um, athleticism, the collecting of the numbers, uh, I've logged over a thousand hours in four months. Absolutely so incredible. It, yeah, it, it's a labor of love is the only way to describe it. Yeah, all right. It, I mean, it definitely, it definitely um, comes through in your work. Just reading through everything, um, the the specifics, and and one of the nice things that is, whenever I come across another person that shares my passion for a, uh, for the NFL draft and and prospect evaluation and working with team needs and whatever it relates to in the draft is, you definitely work on your own. You have your own. Um, your evaluation tool you have your own way to com combine um you know, come out with a numerical way to say hey this person person a is better than person b and then you kind of elaborate into why um could you just kind of walk me through before we dive into the prospects let us know how you came up with your your scale that you talk about in your prospectus um I, I, you know your draft methodology is just a uh, an interesting part of what you've done, um, you know, from talent, athleticism, production, all those things. Um, w was there an ongoing process or did you know going into it? I think these are the things we need to focus on. I'm going to weight them a certain way based on position, just kind of how you combined all these things that come up with your uh, evaluation tool. Well, as far as the, the actual layout, if anybody listening is not familiar, uh, I go through, I, evaluate players on five different areas. Uh, there's a film evaluation, which is anywhere from 60 to 75% of a player's overall evaluation. I refer to that as the central grade uh, because you're focusing first and foremost on the film, what the player does, how good of a football player they actually are. And then there's four what I refer to as peripheral metrics, uh, which are meant to be supplementary and, and help maybe eliminate some subconscious or conscious biases that you take with that player throughout the interpretation of the film grade. So there's uh, experience or leadership, which factors in uh, your, your games played, your games started, your, whether or not you were captain, so on and so forth, your athleticism testing, which compares performance and tests against the past decade of information of players at that position um, production score, which obviously we won't factor in with offensive linemen, um, but it is just looking at some of the statistics that are presented at each position and how productive those players are in their playing time. And then a size score, which is if player X is so tall or so tall and so weighs so much, where does that factor compare to the quote unquote prototypical player at that position? Uh, so the general basis of how I evaluate actually stemmed from a template that had come from the notes that were passed on to me. Uh, so that was where I had kind of uh, created this, had the origin of this idea of a film grade and foiling it up against 
um, metrics that maybe some teams care about some things and other teams care about other things. Um, the Dolphins, for example, I think it was last year, six of their seven draft picks for team caps or just something small like that. If you know what certain teams are looking for, you can kind of, you know, when you put the entire evaluation up against certain teams templates and what they're looking for and not, you can eliminate certain players that, you know, just don't fit what they're looking for. So that's the general goal is just to paint as fine detailed of a picture as I can on each and every prospect. And then how teams or individuals choose to interpret that data if they are striking something off, uh, if they're eliminating players based on failing to meet baselines, that's ultimately up to them. All I can do is provide as much information as I can. Right. And and you said, and um, probably something that I'd like to focus on uh, just you know briefly was that you, you're, the talent score it's probably it's your most important part, and you get that mostly from film. Yes. Okay. Uh, that that's whether or not I'm able to get my hands on coaches' film all 22. Uh, I've had some luck with that, a very small amount. A lot of teams are very hesitant to pass that kind of thing out. Um, television broadcasts, obviously, if you're not familiar, please go to DraftBreakdown.com. Uh, they take television broadcasts and cut up specific players. Every single play that that player's on the field, you're getting a look without any of the extra fluff. So that's obviously an, an instrumental tool for what I do. Yes, Draft Breakdown is an incredible resource for talent evaluation during this process. It is a great, great site to uh, have in your back pocket to know, hey, I need to find some film. They've got a, they've got a great um, – archive there for uh, the season and they're always coming out with new ones and, and breaking everything down. It is a great place to go. Um, I, I recently on Twitter following all these draft guys talking back and forth. One thing that came up and I saw you throw your, you know, your point into it, or you might've been even one that started it was, are you, are we ranking our big board players when you're taking all the prospects coming into this draft? Are we ranking them based on their talent or what we think they could be? And it's an interesting dilemma because if you have, you know, people arguing back and forth, you might not even be talking um, the same thing. It's almost apples to oranges because you can see one player, you know what this player is. He, he's shown it on the field. He's not going to change. But then you could have a guy that, you know, one of the terms always thrown around is he's, he's raw, you know, or there's so much potential there. He has the possibility to be better than, you know, player A who's shown it on the field. I'm going to rank him higher. Uh, where do you stand on that debate? Are, are you uh, what you see is what you get, or do you take into account more often that this person has the opportunity to be one of the best, but he's not there yet? I, I tend to be hesitant to place quote unquote raw or, or high upside, high ceiling, low floor players, super high on my board, just because you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. Um, there are some players that I feel have at least a single trait that even if they don't reach their maximum potential, they can still be productive players. And that kind of goes into uh, the, the expectations. If you look at my evaluation scale, I operate on a nine-point scale, um, to, uh, top 10 values, first-round values, second-round values, so on and so forth. Each of those ranges has a general expectation. And some of those players might not specifically fit that general template of, second round player you should expect to get a reliable starter year one uh, but it at least gives you a little bit of an idea of what the expectation for the player should be 
Um, so there are players that I covet that have extremely high ceilings that aren't there yet. But if they're up there, it's because I feel as though they have a trait that will help them be, for example, a productive starter from the beginning, even if they're not going to be all that they can be for the first two, three years. Okay. Um, I want to come back to your um, your nine-point scale and your evaluation as it pertains to the 2015 uh, big board here in a moment. But before I dive into that, one of the questions I always like when I talk to NFL talent evaluators is, is what specifically do they think is the hardest position to evaluate? Um, I guess I'm kind of leaning mostly towards towards the film. Um, who is the, the toughest position to say, okay, he was able to do this in college. I think he can do this in the pros. Um, is there one position that you're like, this one's just, it's given me the most problems or is it kind of very depending on the, the talent that's actually out there entering the draft? Uh, if you were to ask a large majority of folks, I think they would hands down the majority of people would say quarterback mm-hmm. just because of the amount of variables that go into each and every play. You don't know how much control the quarterback has at the line of scrimmage. You don't know how much flexibility they have in the offense. Uh, you ultimately don't know what the primary read is, so on and so forth. Um, I I would say that the most difficult position for myself to evaluate is back-end secondary players. Okay. Uh, whether it's your uh, cover three corners that are responsible for a deep third or a, a single high safety in cover one, uh, just because the ability to access tape that will actually show you definitively hmm. what the plays are on the back end uh, is so sparse that it's, it's really difficult to cipher. Um, it, a lot of that's guesswork, to be honest. And that's why, um, you know, when I'm evaluating safeties, I avoid making grandoise widespread generalizations about a player's ability to, uh, handle cover one or be a single high safety or, you know, their ability to handle a variety of coverages. I, I'm, I focus more on traits. So for example, if you're looking for free safety, I'll say, does this player have short area burst uh, and acceleration to be able to handle sideline to sideline? Do they have the flexibility to keep the hips low and drop off the line of scrimmage loosely and keep their center of gravity low and then subsequently flip their hips open into the sideline. But you really don't have a grasp on how developed their responsibilities are as a back-end player. Um, So that's extremely difficult for me personally to uh, digest and be able to come up with definitive answers. Yeah, that's understandable. I could definitely see how that could be an issue for a lot of people. I mean, if you don't have access to – to all the film that, that is out there, um, but is kept close to the vest, like you mentioned. I, I definitely can see that that be a position that's difficult to evaluate. I figured, and that was, that was kind of answered perfectly, I figured quarterback is kind of the one that you always go to just because of how important the position is. You want to get it right, but it's so difficult because there's so many variables, like you mentioned, going into a, what you need a quarterback, um, you know, from, from their personal mechanics from their mental makeup and then to the system they're coming from and going to, there's so many things involved when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, but having that, that second one backed up, the, the, like you said, the, the, this part of the secondary, um, that's interesting to see. I, I figured it probably would be someone away from the ball because generally when you start on the line of scrimmage or you have someone like a rusher 
you know, there's so much film out there on them that it's not too difficult to, uh, to, to evaluate, but, uh, it is interesting to hear your opinions on, uh, on trying to figure out what's going on with some of the, uh, the, like you said, the, the safety prospects and, uh, and people that, that drop back so, so much. Uh, let's see here. Okay. The 2015 draft class, like we're less than three weeks away now from round one, starting on uh, April 30th. Um, this year's draft class as a whole, um, in your opinion, is it a strong average or weak versus the last couple of years, the classes we've come out? Uh, what, what's your opinion on the class as a whole? Uh, I, I can only speculate and compare to last year um, because it's, this, these are the only two seasons in which I've operated under the same scoring system. So in comparison to last year, uh, I think that the top-end talent, uh, the players that would I see, feel would be worth a first-round pick, it's about the same as last year. Okay. It's a little bit thinner at the very top. Uh, I believe I had four, four first-round or top-ten values last year, which was Jadavion Clowney, Khalil Mack, Anthony Barr, and Jake Matthews, the tackle out of Texas A&M. So um, I feel like if you're picking in the top 10, uh, you have less options to maximize your, your the value of your selection, at least in my evaluation process. Uh, and, and while I'm touching on that real quick, I would like to make a point, because uh, this is a gray area that some people tend to get lost in. I'm not trying to tell you who is going where. Oh, no. I'm trying to reflect... And that's something that I've, I have people that receive my product this year and they'll say, do you really think so-and-so is going in the top 15? <laughs> no, it, uh, that's not my objective. My right. objective is to tell you whenever team X takes this player, they're getting good value Correct. for their selection. Yes. Ex- so, excellent point. Um, so I think top 10 value is going to be very poor this year. Um second half of the first round, I feel like you'll probably see a lot of movement, a lot of moving around just because, you know, general consensus, I've seen it from guys like Matt, Matt Miller over at Bleacher Report. I believe he gave out 15, 16 first round values. And that's, I have 15. So um, I think the back end of the first round, it's going to be teams that identify this is a specific player that can help us fulfill a specific role on our roster. Let's go up and get him. So you'll see teams willing to drop down. I think the second half of the draft, you'll see a lot of movement in the first round. I, I and we kind of saw that a bit last year. There were a lot of trades, at least at the beginning. We saw teams moving around. Uh, but you, you touched on my, my next question was, um, you know, so th- the draft class this year, similar to last year, but not maybe as many elite talents available. But it does seem to be a pretty deep draft. You mentioned you only have one guy evaluated as a top 10 pick. We have 14 more to make 15 total worthy of first round grades. But then your board, 16 to 59, were all ranked as second round prospects. Obviously, that's more than 32 picks. So there's there's more talent available in the, the second round for the pickings than in the first. So it's obviously going to bump up some people that aren't graded as highly on your big board, but there's a plenty to go around as you get into the second and third rounds. Uh, so that's, I think that is kind of similar to last year. It Maybe the elite talent wasn't quite there as in years past, but it was a very deep draft. And this year we saw, well, we see a couple groups um, in particular that, that our people are saying, well, the, the elite athleticism, the, you know, generational talent may not be there, but if you need, you know, for, for, I know for certain a wide receiver this year, you're in good position to get one. You don't have to get them in the first, cause there's going to be great guys available in the second. 
And I think looking at your big board and your positional rankings, I, I think you tend to agree. Yes, uh, definitely wide receiver. It's a great year to need it. I don't think you'll have three, four potential Pro Bowl players like you had last year uh, with Odell Beckham, Mike Evans. Uh, Sammy Watkins had some injuries, but, you know, obviously Buffalo traded a pretty sizable price now that they don't have a first-round pick this year to go up and get him. Um, so I don't think that you're going to have many of those types of players spend immediate plug-and-play players outside of maybe Kevin White and Amari Cooper. Uh, and then, obviously, I'll save the third one that I think is a plug-and-play stud but because we got a question coming up that I think he's a great answer to. Um, <laughs> so if you need a wide receiver, it's a great year. Uh, plenty of players that are uh, role players, say Philip Dorsett out of Miami. Um, really good movement skills, really loose, able to drop hips at the top of his routes and, and really sink his weight for sudden change of direction. Um, but he was used primarily as a deep receiver at right. Florida State, similar to how Devin Smith was used as a deep receiver at Ohio State. I think both of them ultimately are able to project and develop into more full-time roles at the next level. But if you need a guy right off the bat to get vertical, you're looking at those guys sometime in day two. So you have great value in that perspective. It just depends on what you need. Uh, running back class is loaded this year. Uh, I, my top running back last year was Bishop Sankey at 59 on my board. And uh, Buck Allen from USC is my sixth running back this year, and he's 63rd overall. Wow, yeah. So it's night and day compared to last year. The running back class is loaded. Uh, offensive tackle class is very strong. Uh, if we're looking at a weak class, obviously quarterback, mm -hmm. you have two, maybe three, depending on who you ask, uh, quarterbacks that might be, quote-unquote, the guy for somebody. And I think the safety class is very weak again this year. I felt it was weak last year. I didn't give a single safety a first or second round grade last year. Um, so it's bad year again to need a safety, which is a shame because there's a lot of back-end play in the NFL that could really use a boost. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I want, I want to get into a couple of these players, and a safety is going to come up here in a few few moments. Um, but I, I completely agree. I'm, I think uh, running back, wide receiver, tackle, all those very deep. If you're looking for someone to fill in, you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, necessarily reaching. There's going to be guys there um, that should meet your value and the draft pick where you're using it. Uh, but also safety was, you know, when I came up, what's the weakest positional group? Safety by far, I just think is is just very, very weak. And you mentioned last year. I thought last year was bad. Man, this year, uh, to me, the safety class is just just poor. And, and you mentioned a lot of teams need help. I know the Dolphins need someone to pair with Rashad Jones, and I want them to find a free safety. But I don't know if going, you know, finding one in this draft is going to be, uh, be fruitful for them because I just I don't see anyone out there that could be – you know, game changer. I know a lot of people, I'm kind of jumping the gun here on this one. A lot of people are high on Landon Collins, but you looking at your evaluation, you're, you're not a fan of Collins. No. And it was last year, the, the Bama safety seemed to be getting the same treatment that um, USC wide receivers get where uh, it was Robert Woods and he was a stud before he came out, but the year he came out, it was, Oh, he's good. But 
uh, Marquise Lee is better. Mm-hmm. And then Marquise Lee was a stud. And then the year <laughs> he came out, it was, okay, Marquise Lee is good, but Nelson Aguilar is better. And now Aguilar is coming out and it's, well, Aguilar is good, but Juju Smith's better. <laughs> and it's just like this recycled narrative for the position. And it's the same thing last year where uh, Hassan Clinton Dix came out and it was, oh, he's good, but Landon, but Landon Collins better. is better. But then you go back and watch the tape, and Landon Collins, to me, is just a pure box safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was this you know, narrative and this drum beating drum of Collins has better ball skills, Collins can play free safety. Uh, you look at him when he tested at the combine, and it's a perfect illustration of athletic testing matching the tape. Um, was a substandard, uh, below-average athlete at safety in comparison to the last 10 years of at combine. And I saw a lot of the same stuff. Uh, his film grade was strong. I gave him an early second round film grade, but the rest of his peripherals, I mean, he's six foot. He's almost 230. He's almost a, a glorified nickel linebacker. Yeah. So he's a big dude. And you can't put somebody back there as a free safety and ask him to cover sideline to sideline. No. He, I, I you know, I said I mentioned the Dolphins in need of safety, someone to pair with Rashad Jones. Adding, I mean, I've heard people that have wanted him to go to Miami at 14 or wherever they end up picking in the first round. People that actually think that he could play free or that, hey, we'll just move Rashad Jones to free. But I think that is awful, awful decision on the Dolphins' part. I don't want to get too team-specific yet, but um, I, I'm not a fan of Landon Collins. In, in general, and playing him at free would be a disaster. And I think you definitely um, have the same mentality there. Okay. Now, we, we talked a little bit about, you brought up Buck Allen, you know, his value in terms of your running back draft class, how this class is so deep. And you talked on the road of his interview about Buck Allen as being kind of an under radar prospect. Who's another one, another sleeper, an undervalued guy that you think, you know, maybe will go in, you know, second, third round or, or is ranked, in, you know, in your top 50 that could surprise some people and be a, you know, a a very strong pro that people just have no idea who he is right now. Well, I'll give you two. Uh, First one will be a different position, same school already mentioned Nelson Aguilar. Uh, This was the reference I had made in talking about the plug and play wide receivers. Uh, Aguilar is very uh, diverse. You can put him in the slot. You can put him on the perimeter. Uh, does not have a ton of exposure getting off of press coverage, and he's not the most physical guy. Runs wonderful routes, uh, very strong short area movement skills, very slippery. Um, improved his hands past year. Uh, I think, you know, whether it's Philadelphia or if a team like Miami with a trade back, I think Aguilar and Jarvis Landry running routes together would be a match made in heaven. I think yeah. he's really tailor-made for that kind of offense. Uh, the other one is another receiver, Justin Hardy, out of East Carolina. Okay. Uh, doesn't get a lot of fanfare because he's a smaller school guy. Uh, did not Does not have great uh, explosiveness, uh, good hands, very strong hands. Uh, and he came out of this ECU wide-open passing offense, but he knows how to run routes. And I think he's primarily a slot guy because he doesn't have excellent size. He doesn't have excellent movement skills but he's very efficient, very efficient with his feet, very efficient with his routes. Uh, Sure-handed receiver. I think he's somebody that you could also plug in, put him in the slot and expect 60 catches as a rookie. Excellent. Yeah. When, when it comes to uh, 
evaluating route running, I always, when I'm going through these prospects and I'm looking at them, route running, when, when you know, that term raw comes up with the route running or needs work on route running, I feel like there's too many people that think that's an easy correction. And route running, you know, if you, you might find the right coach who can, you know, coach these guys up. But generally, if you don't know how to run routes and you were a multi-year starter in college, I don't know how much improvement I'm going to see in the NFL. Generally, if you know how to run routes properly, you've been coached by in high school and through college. If you don't know how to run routes when you get to the NFL, to me, you better have a quarterback that can adjust to what you're going to do because you know, most quarterbacks in the NFL want that precision. And if you're not good at doing that, I don't know if I'm going to see much improvement. I, that's just my opinion. If someone doesn't know how to run routes already, I, I, I don't want them um, – I don't want to say I don't want him on my team, but I definitely don't want to invest a high draft pick on someone that needs that much coaching in something that is so important to a wide receiver. I, I would say the only exception to that would be a guy like Mike Evans last year. Um, Evans didn't run great routes at Texas A&M. He ran goes, uh, he ran smoke throws, and he ran essentially uh, comebacks and slants. Uh, was not necessarily very precise with his slants. Uh, and he was a guy that I was notably low on last year. But you look at the transition that he made. If you have a single skill that, say, for example, you know, his high point ability is contested catchability, uh, and a guy like Jalen Strong, who is similarly a contested catch guy, he can have a guy draped on his back because he's not necessarily going to win with separation, especially at this point. Now, he's only two years in Division One football, but that's another, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. Uh, if you have a specific trait that will allow you to win, it it can be a bit of a crutch to help with that transition until you get more refined. But I definitely agree. This is not something that you just assume that this development and this progression is naturally going to happen because for so many people, it doesn't. We talked about Landon Collins, um, you know, how you having him ranked low on your big board and the evaluation that you have of him. Um, there are a couple others looking through your prospectus of guys that I was familiar with through through my work and through um, other big boards out there. You know, you met Matt, Matt Miller and, and, you know, there's so many other people that evaluate talent and want to throw out mock drafts and big boards and everything. Um, some of the names that I was more familiar with, especially seeing them go to other teams in our draft tech mocks, um, ranked uh, lower on your big board. Just wanted to get your opinion on them. And I know we're, we're cr crunching on time here, but the one that I think is most important to cover is Dante Fowler, because you're, we're hearing his name now be talked about and, you know, at, at least the top five pick, if not maybe even, you know, the, the third guy taken, um, but you have him farther down on your board. What, what was it about Fowler that, that, that you didn't like? Uh, first of all, I love his motor. I love the intensity that he plays with, but I'm going to borrow a phrase from uh, one of the co-owners of draft breakdown uh, in referring to Fowler. Uh, he mentioned that Fowler's hands are more active than they are effective. Uh, he, he goes a million miles an hour. Uh, hands are all over the place, but he's not necessarily attacking at the elbow, attacking at the wrist, uh, struggles to get off of blocks and is inconsistent stacking blocks and utilizing length to keep his chest clean. So that's something that I'm a little bit leery on. Uh, I think as a hustle player, he's going to be great. I just don't know if he's a uh, top five, top 10 value. I do fully expect him to go to Jacksonville at three though. 
that seems to be what most people are thinking of. Um, the only thing that maybe could throw a wrench in it depends on what happens in the top two. Most people, at least a week ago, so ago, everyone pretty much knew, hey, the Buccaneers are taking Winston. That's the way it looks. You know, a couple stuff gets thrown out here now recently, including uh, um, Cornwall saying things about him not being ready to be an NFL player, especially off the field. Um, do you see there being any flip-flopping? Do you expect Winston to be the number one pick to the Buccaneers? Or do you think your guy, um, your number one ranked player in Marcus Mariota, could he slip into the Buccaneers at one? Or is this pretty much Winston and then where is Mariota going to fall? I will never say never, but from everything that I've heard and I am colleagues with a number of folks who covered the Bucks extensively and you know they have years of people in the building. Uh, I think Winston's the guy, I think, especially because of his uh, scheme diverse approach. You can put him in almost any offense and expect uh, at least moderate success right away. Uh, I think he showed this year he's a, he's not afraid to throw into coverage and throw into tight windows. Um, I, I just hope that that transition does not yield um, poor results for him. But I totally expect Winston to go first. I think all the rest is just your typical April pre-draft nonsense. Now I know you're, you know, you're the talent evaluator, you're the scouting department, but you did put out, uh, maybe to pacify fans, a mock draft. Um, and so I, I want to talk a little bit more team specific here, um, but related to your number one prospect, if, if like you believe in what most people believe, Winston goes number one to the Bucks. Does Mariota go second to the Titans, or where do you see him? slotting in you know obviously we can't predict trades and whatnot but if he doesn't go to Tennessee at two does he make it out of the top 10 I don't think so I think there's too many teams that are star for quarterback play whether it's the Jets at six uh the Redskins at five uh the Bears at seven who I actually had uh trading with Oakland I think Oakland's in a really great spot to trade down this year I actually had the Bears trading up and it's the, it's a total guess. There's no definitive, concrete reason for me to do so. So if anybody gets offended as Bears fans <laughs> or anything like that, uh, total guess. Uh, I, I just think there's too many teams that are star for top-end quarterback play. And if you're willing to be flexible with your offensive system, Mariota has greater upside than Winston. Um, so I think... I just can't see a team that's missing a quarterback passing on him um, and anticipating picking up, say, Bryce Petty in round two or something like that. <laughs> or Garrett Grayson. Um, let's see. You know, speaking of uh, Mariota, I know, you know, being in the, you know, focus in Reading here and outside the Philly area, everyone's still wondering what Chip Kelly's doing uh, in terms of uh, the quarterback situation. Are they going to stick with Sam Bradford? Um, you know, not to throw it at you again of prognosticating what's going to happen in the draft, but do you see any way that the Eagles can land Mariota? And do you think they should attempt to get him? Certainly think they should. Um, as long as the repercussions of their trade, because they're going to have to trade if they want to get Mariota. Um, as long as the repercussions do not carry over significant impact into future drafts. Uh, I think the Eagles, Chip Kelly has proven that, you know, he's breaking the mold. Uh, he's not afraid to go out and get guys uh, with injury costs for lower than typical market value uh, to try and find players that can potentially be of high value to the team with high performance for moderate to reasonable pay. Um, 
if you can give up first, second, uh, fourth, fifth, or something like that, uh, typically that trade up requires a first round pick the next year. So I don't, I think it's a moot point. But if you can somehow manage to swing that, then absolutely the best thing the Eagles could do is go out and get Mariota. All right. I know there's a, there was a ton of stuff that I wanted to cover this evening and I'm just not going to get to, um, you know, we barely touched, scraped the surface of your prospectus and the thousands of hours that you put into doing it. Um, but there was one more feature that I wanted to do quickly before we sign off here um, and just kind of get your take um there's this interesting site called fanspeak.com that has an on the clock mock draft simulator. We have something similar at drafttech.com, but the fanspeak one has really gotten a lot of momentum. They use a bunch of big boards to, um, you know, propagate their uh, prospects into this uh, simulator. Um, yours being one of the uh, big boards and also the one from drafttech.com. Um, if you're willing, I wanted to throw in um, the draft tech big board and run the simulation for the Eagles and just maybe get your, you know, I'll let you know who's on the board and who would you take for the first couple of picks for the Eagles and why you up for that? Right on. Let's, let's do it. All right. Again, this is fanspeak.com on the clock uh, draft simulator. I'm going to use the draft tech big board for the Philadelphia Eagles and they have the 20th in the draft. And let's see what happens here. I've seen some interesting uh, scenarios here, especially one I ran recently. 